Several months back, we went through the fact that he is the good shepherd. And today, Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, as we look at this first verse and we see that, there's something that I think we need to know because a lot of people, this doesn't mean what they think it means uh, when it says, uh, I shall not want. He's not saying he's going to give you everything you want. Here in Hebrew, that word means lack. I will not be in need. Uh, it's not want, it's lack. I shall not lack would be a better translation. The reason why I want you to understand that is that the good shepherd doesn't provide you with anything you want. He provides you with what you need, just like that's what parents do. You'd never give your children everything they want. My goodness, you probably have giraffes and rhinoceroses and all sorts of stuff running around the house, right? And uh, so there's some things that people want that they shouldn't ever have. Let's face it. And so what you need is what's actually good for you. And uh, let me just use the, the Jewish people as an example. The people of Israel wanted a king. They wanted a political and a military leader. That's what they wanted. What they needed was a Messiah. They needed that. They needed a Savior. He didn't provide them with what they wanted. Uh, he gave them what they needed. And so when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. It doesn't mean I get everything I want, but it does mean I get everything I need. He will meet my needs. I've had some people explain to me why they stay in sin. It's because I have needs. And if they would obey the Lord and live a life according to the way God wanted them to live it, those needs that they're meeting in sinful ways, the Lord would meet in good and wholesome and wonderful ways. If I need it, my shepherd will provide it. Now, I'm really actually glad of that because I've been a Christian now for 48 years, a real Christian. I was a nominal Christian for a long time before that, but really came to know the Lord 48 years ago. And I'm very, very glad that he has not answered all my prayers the way I wanted them answered. Have you ever looked back on something that you prayed and you prayed and you prayed to God for? And uh, you might think he didn't answer, but maybe he did answer by saying no. That's the way parents have to answer sometime, isn't it? Just have to say no, because what, they're, what we're wanting isn't good for us. So uh, anyway, uh, if he did answer, anyway, have you ever been glad looking back that you didn't get what you were asking the Lord for? There are those times. So uh, anyway, you shall not lack because he provides. Today we're looking at the fact he provides. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And then we're, next week, we're going to be looking at he protects. And then the next week, we're going to be looking at 
He promises. And so number one, he some of the things that he provides. First, he provides green pastures and still waters. In verse two, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Now, green pastures and still waters represent contentment and peace in a sheep's life. You know that because you see a sheep that has green pastures is content and uh, that has still waters that represents peace. A believer's life should be characterized by contentment and peace. And uh, if you're not content and you're not at peace, you might not be really following your shepherd because the good shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures and he uh, leads us beside still waters. This is one of the reasons that, uh, that you come to church. Really, if you stop and think about it, it's green pastures and still waters. We come to church and we experience still waters in church. And uh, think about that. In the presence of God, we, uh, when we come to church and we can be anxious, we can be worried, we can be fearful, and all of a sudden, in the presence of God comes His peace. In worship, peace comes. And then we come to church for the green pastures because God provides spiritual food. When someone opens the word to you, he helps you to, to see things that the Lord wants you to see. You may not want to look at them, but sometimes we just get confronted with them. But please hear me. We come to church to sit beside the still waters and to worship and to eat from green pastures during the message. But listen, one time a week is not enough. God doesn't want a weekend affair with you. He wants to be married to you. We're called the bride of Christ for a reason. He wants to marry you. He wants to live with you every day. He wants to provide green pastures and still waters for you every day. And please hear me because our weeks can get so busy and if you don't have some green pastures and still waters during the week, you're going to find yourself in trouble. You're going to find yourself wandering off and getting into places and things you shouldn't be. Now, he's the one that provides it for us, green pastures and still waters. Now, I can remember when I was a kid, I'd come to church and uh, we'd have Holy Communion. And I just feel so washed and cleansed and clean and feeling so good. And thank you, Lord, for forgiving me all those bad things I did in this past week. And I'm going to be better now. And we'd get in the car. My little sister would be on one side of the back seat and I'd be on the other. And I've shared with this some of y'all before. There was this imaginary line down the middle of the seat. And you don't cross that line. And I'd look down. And there would be my little sister's hand across that line. And things would start to rankle. 
And next thing you know, she was crowding more and more to my space. And all of a sudden, my religion was just gone. You ever experienced that sort of thing? Feel so good and washed after church and then something comes up. Something comes up. Somebody says something. Somebody does something. And it's all out the window. But that just helps you to realize how close and how peaceful it was and the goodness that you were getting from church. The Lord wants you to have that every day. He wants you to start every day like that. Not just on Sunday. He wants to be uh, married to you, not just having a weekend affair. So we need to take time to spend time in his presence and to eat uh, his food from his word every day. When a little child plays and starts running out of uh, energy, what happens? You know what's going on. They start getting grumpy time to take a nap time to take a nap and so what do you do you make them lay down they might not want to lay down but you make them lay down and that's the way it is with us when they start getting grumpy and whenever we start getting out of sorts you make them take a nap if you're following him he's going to make you lie down for a while every now and then now Here's, you see, he makes you. If you don't take the time, you'll want to, with the chalks knocked out from under you, you'll have to take the time. So uh, the second thing is, uh, well, there was another major thing I wanted to share with you about that. But, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Picture yourself as uh, an 18-wheeler pulling a, a gasoline uh, tank load. You know, the 18-wheelers that deliver gas to the uh, service stations, uh, they run around and put uh, and, and fill up the tanks in the ground or back in the back so that uh, we can all get our tanks filled with gasoline from there, right? But you know what? That 18-wheeler has tanks that are filled with diesel or uh, gasoline themselves, don't they? What if that, you, you could, some of us are like that. We run around filling up everybody around them every day and we just keep on running and giving and giving and giving and we run out of gas. And uh, this is what the Lord's trying to get across to you is uh, just imagine an 18-wheeler on the side of the road that's run out of fuel. Well, whenever it runs out of fuel, it has to just stop, doesn't it? You need to stop and fill up your tank on a regular basis so that you can be of use to those around you. Because if you let your tank run out, you're not going to be good any good to anybody else or yourself. And so he makes us to lie down in green pastures. It's better if you'll do it on your own. But uh, so uh, uh, the second thing I want to look at is he provides in Psalm 23, 3, healing and restoration. He restores my soul. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had your soul crushed? Because when you go back to the Hebrew, this uh, restoring is the restoration of something that's been injured. He restores my soul. 
We don't probably use that phrase, my soul was crushed. We might, but we probably use the phrase, my heart was broken a lot more. He, uh, he restores, he repairs broken hearts. Has your heart ever been broken when you lost a loved one? Or when you lost a job? When you uh, were going after a career and it didn't do, it was just going to be perfect for you and, and it didn't pan out. If you lost a friend or relationship, when you went through a health difficulty, did it break your heart? Of course it did, and that's normal. It's normal in life that your heart gets broken in this world. Also, life can just beat you up pretty badly sometimes. Things can happen in barrages that just cause you to put up walls in your heart and just kind of toughen your heart just to survive because of the onslaught of the things that are happening to you. Our peace can just evaporate due to continuous onslaughts in life. And I shared with you last week about a time in my life that was like that. But uh, the thing is, there's uh, someone who can restore your soul. He can restore your soul. Two of my favorite verses are these. First of all, in Luke uh, 4.18, the Lord declares why he's been sent he has sent me. Why? To heal the brokenhearted. And then I shared with you just this past week, Matthew 12, 20, a bruised reed he will not break. He doesn't crush. He restores. I love that verse. Have you ever been bruised? You're bleeding on the inside somewhere in your heart and your soul. And uh, he's not going to come along and break you. He's going to bind up that wound and he's going to heal you. A bruised reed he will not break. Now, in Matthew 12, when he says this, he's answering the Pharisees. He's quoting it right after the Pharisees got mad at him. And uh, you know what they got mad at him about? They got mad at him because he healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to heal people on the Sabbath. That's work. It's not work for God, though. But uh, that's what they are getting mad about. And so he quotes this scripture. And then he says something. But he says it differently than he said it two other times. The other two times he says, which of you, if you have an ox that falls in a ditch, will not pull it out, even if it's on the Sabbath? But this time he says something differently. He says, which of you, if you have a sheep that falls in a pit, will not pull him out on the Sabbath? I think... Everything that Jesus did and everything that he said was perfect.
I think every word he used was perfect. And so, okay, he's the shepherd and we're the sheep. And he's healing this man with the withered hand. And he talks about a sheep now and not an ox. And he says, which of you, if you have a sheep that falls into a pit, would not pull that sheep out? And then he says this. And isn't a person more important than a sheep? Okay. So if you have fallen in a pit, in other words, if you were going along and everything was going great, and then something happened totally out of the blue uh, that put your soul in a pit, and it wasn't anything that you did, to cause it to happen. It just happened. Or if somebody threw you in a pit, like Joseph and his brothers, I mean, they threw him in a pit. Or, I'm going to say this because this is from my own experience. If you dug the pit yourself, I have ended up in a lot of pits that were my fault, in bad spots, that I was there because of me. I couldn't point my finger at anybody else. Has anybody else here ever dug a pit of their own? Nobody's raising their hands. Okay. Raise your hand if you ever dug a pit of your own. Uh-huh. I thought so. We had a lot of pit diggers in here. See? And that's just it. Uh, even if you dig the pit yourself, the shepherd will come and get you out. I've known some people that just, I've been trying to minister to them while they're in a pit of their own making. And they didn't realize that the Lord was willing to help them because they dug the pit and they were blaming themselves for it. But he still, even if you caused it, he wants to get you back on track. He loves you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, another one, I have a lot of favorites, you know, in uh, Psalm 51. It's uh, the Psalm that David wrote right after he repents, when he repents for committing adultery with Bathsheba. And I love it, Psalm 51. You can read it anytime you want. And I've read it many times in my life because of just messing up. Not in that way, of course, not the way that David did. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, y'all kind of see the wheels spinning, but, uh, but by blowing it in different ways. It's verse 12. Restore for to me the joy of your salvation. You can ask the Lord to do that, to restore to you the joy of your salvation. There's a repentance and when we truly repent, the joy of our salvation comes back. The last one, number three, paths of righteousness. Now, this is something the Good Shepherd provides. He provides paths. Now, think about walking through the woods and you see a path. And now you've got a choice. You can go through the briars and the brambles or you can take the path. Which do you choose? Uh, but you've got a real path here. It's a path of righteousness. It's the second part of verse 3. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
He's not going to lead you in a wrong way for his name's sake. He's going to lead you in the right way for his name's sake. Now, it may look from time to time like maybe he's taking you down a wrong road. But if he's put you on that road, you can trust it's going to have a joyful end. I can remember I've shared this with a lot of you uh, driving uh, uh, down the freeway in, in Dallas when I was first starting seminary. We were down to a quarter of a tank of gas and had no money at home. And uh, we were getting ready to not be eating. And I remember driving along there. We were there because the Lord told us to go there. We were there because we were supposed to be there. And I remember just driving along thinking about what's the Lord got me into. And I remember just saying, Lord, if this doesn't work out, you and I are both going to be in trouble. You know, we're both, it's going to look bad for both of us. And the Lord knows that. When I got home, there was a check in the mail that helped us out. Uh, I just had to laugh thinking that the Lord was going to put himself in a spot where things look bad for him. No, and he's not going to put you in a spot that ultimately is bad for you either. So let me just remind you that the word righteousness means right standing with God. We're put in right standing with God by grace through faith. And uh, it's not grace plus works that saves you. But what Jesus did for you on the cross to extend to you his grace. Now, let me tell you, if you don't start with grace as a foundation, you're never going to go anywhere with God. It's grace that puts you in a right standing with God. Now, let me clarify this. You don't lose your salvation when you sin. You're not saved, lost, saved, lost, saved, lost. You don't bounce back and forth. If that kind of thinking comes up where people say things like, well, if I die, I hope I die on the way home confession instead of coming home from the bar. You know, that's not what it's about. It's not dependent on your works. If it was dependent on your works, we're all in trouble. Does everyone follow me on, on do, do you follow me on this? It just can't be. It's dependent on the blood of Jesus and you receiving this free gift from God. Okay, now I'm going to say something that maybe you have never heard before, and you probably never thought about it, or maybe you have. We'll just see. Here it is. Grace puts us in right standing with God. But sin does affect us in our right stand or in our standing position. You see, on God's side, because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, because of the price that he paid, he's put me in a right standing with God. On my side, because of grace, I'm in a right standing with God. But when I sin, Something is affected in my standing with God. But listen, listen to this. My standing with God, not God standing with me. There's a difference. 
In other words, God still loves me and he will forgive me. God still sees me as clean and sanctified through the blood of his son and even forgiven. But something has changed in my heart, in my relationship with God, how I see God, how I see myself and how I see you. People who are judgmental are people who are in sin. Because if you know a judgmental person, that person's in sin because they're judging themselves whenever they're judging you. Uh, But if he's walking in an open relationship with God and receiving God's grace, he'll give you grace. But if he won't give you grace, he's not giving himself any grace. He's not receiving grace. God's grace. Okay, so grace puts me in a right standing with God and nothing can change my right standing with God because it's dependent on the blood of Jesus. It's already been shed. The price has already been paid. But when I walk in sin, it does change me. I'm standing with God but not the way God is standing with me. I hope you're following that. Okay, but if that weren't the case, how could you go to him and say, I'm sorry and receive forgiveness after you confessed it? He still loved you, but you were barring yourself from him because sin, the guilt of sin, the weight of sin was holding you back from him. All right. The Bible talks about imputed righteousness and uh, uh, that God has imputed righteousness to it. That's an accounting word. It means that he's put rightness uh, into our account. Uh, he took sin out of our account and he put his son, put the sin, our sin in his son's account. It's imputed. Psalm 32, 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, and who in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, this is grace right here. You see, God's put us in a right standing. But listen, David uh, is now again talking about his own sin. Watch what he says in verse 3. When I kept silent, in other words, When I didn't go to God and repent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. In other words, it began to affect me. It didn't affect God's relationship toward me. It affected my relationship toward God. It didn't affect God's relationship toward David, but it affected David's relationship toward God. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. By the way, the Hebrew uh, here 
it goes in and other things, but the root of it means the weight of my sin. You took the weight of my sin from me when I confessed it. And so he leads us in paths of righteousness so that we don't have to walk around weighed down with our sins, although he's already forgiven us of our sins. Now, I need to just cover one more thing with you before we leave here. And uh, it's something that where he says, he leads me. Shepherds do not drive their sheep. Have you ever noticed that? You always lead sheep. You can see a bunch of sheep together in a valley and the shepherds all there talking together. And it's time for them to go their separate ways. One of the shepherds will call out and he'll start walking and his sheep will follow. Another one will call out, start walking away. His sheep will follow. You don't drive them. You lead them. He leads me. Now, you drive cattle, but you'll never see sheep driven. You'll never see a sheep drive. Uh, They lead sheep. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And so the key to following the shepherd is really simple. It's hearing his voice. And what's the key to hearing his voice? Spending time in his presence and listening. That's the key. It's not hard. Have you ever wished that you had more confidence? Because lots of times I have. And many times I felt like I just didn't have the confidence I needed. But you know, when I have a lot of confidence, it's when I've heard from God. If you take the word confidence and take the last three letters off of it, what do you wind up with? Confide. Confide. Uh, Just remove the last three letters, take off the N-C-E, and you have confide. When you have, what it means when you have confidence, it means that's when God has confided in you. Uh, Let me read you verse John 15, 15. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. But now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. He confides in you, but he can't confide if he knew. He wants to share his heart with you, but he can't share his heart with you if you don't get alone with him and listen. Again, I've been saved about 48 years, but I still blow it. And when I do, I have to spend some time in green pastures and beside still waters. I have to go in a room, close the door, uh, or get in my closet. My closet many times is my chair over in the corner of my bedroom now. And I have my Bible on my phone. And now I start each day by sitting in my chair and going to God's Word and reading it every day. I have my time with Him before I do anything else in the day 
before I tell my wife how beautiful she is and how much I love her. I've already told the Lord how beautiful he is and how much I love him. And this is uh, the way you should start your day. Confide in him and through his word, let him confide in you. Just to be with him, get your mind off your troubles and uh, in his presence, get in his word. When I get in his presence, the shepherd speaks and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let me add this. When I do take time at the beginning of the day and put him and his word first, I don't blow it so much. I don't dig nearly as many pits during the day. But if I am lax, lax and if I just jump up and get going because I've got a lot to do today and forget to do that, my day is not right. Now, you see, well, I've had people tell me, you know, I just don't feel right if I miss church on Sunday. It ought to be that right way every day. You shouldn't feel right if you miss him any day. You should have your church with him every day. Now, I've heard it said, you know, it's you can get it any time during the day, whenever you can find the time. I've tried all different sorts. I've tried the last thing at night. I've tried the, and it, it always comes back the way most people say, first thing in the morning. That's the way to get your day off to a good start. You don't have to read much. If you just read of one verse and say one little prayer, it'll make a lot more difference if you didn't do anything to try to get close to him. But when you can take time in his presence, he will make a difference. And so I encourage you, while this year is still young, and while some of you still haven't messed up on your New Year's resolutions even, at this beginning of this fresh new year, stay close to the Good Shepherd because He really is good. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.